Welcome to Haven, the podcast where we explore the vast landscape of loss. There's no going over or around grief. We're going to take it piece by piece and navigate these tough topics the only way we know how, by going through it. This podcast discusses miscarriage, pregnancy, infant, and child loss, so please listen with care. Silent mystery. I'm Jen Burgard, your host, and following my own personal tragedy, founded Haven Landscape of Loss. We are telling stories of loss and sharing our perspectives about surviving grief. Grief and faith almost always intersect at some point. Our guest today shares her own experience, her research on the impact of loss on faith, and thoughts on how to navigate it all. If you, like me, have questioned the why following deep loss, you won't want to miss this one. Join us now with Rachel Lohman. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce Rachel Lohman on the show today. She is someone I found through the wonders of social media. And sometimes we find some of these amazing connections and relationships that way. And I'm so grateful to have found her. So welcome, Rachel. Thanks so much, Jen. So tell us a little bit about you. What's your story? How did we find one another? I know. Well, I was instantly interested when I saw your email because I'm from the Midwest and it said Haven Midwest. And I was like, oh, I love that. So yeah, I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then I moved out to Southern California where I live now with my husband and two children and we're, we're pastors and we have a church out here. And then a few years ago, I founded Hope Again Collective, which is a handmade jewelry line that tells the stories of moms who have experienced pregnancy and infant loss. And that really came out of sitting on years of feeling like I wanted to move into this space. I saw such a gap after my own miscarriage. We're going on about six years now, especially in the faith realm of practical resources, safe places to tell my story. And to kind of find healing in that cathartic space. And I just wasn't really sure what that would look like. I had no idea it would be making earrings, which is how it started. So it's just been really cool and unexpected to see the journey unfold. And I feel like I have never been doing more meaningful work than I am now, as I have in the past three years. So it's really been a joy. Oh, that's amazing, right? Finding purpose from our pain, I think, is so valuable. And that's amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about your miscarriage experience? So that was a few years ago. Yes. Yeah, so that was our entrance into parenthood. And I really found like that has been such a defining piece of just my motherhood perspective now, because it started with loss and such an unexpected loss. Even though we hear the statistics, as I'm sure you run into all the time, nobody ever assumes that the statistics are going to become part of their story. So I would describe our miscarriage as blindsiding, really. Nobody in my friend or family circle had experienced a loss at the time. And so I it really lived out as just a statistic. It, it wasn't anywhere close to home. So it was very jarring when we lost our baby to miscarriage at about seven and a half weeks. And I had just always assumed that getting pregnant was one of those stair steps as you move forward with life. After you get married, you find a job, you find a house if you can, and then you start having kids. And there's not a lot of, at least for me, there wasn't a whole lot of thought behind that. It was just like, here's the next expected step by society and culture. Like, yeah, why not? That's one of the things that for me has shifted almost 180 degrees is my 
view on motherhood and what a gift it is to bring life into the world. And I'm reminded daily now of, of all the things that I think I would have missed and taken for granted had loss not started my motherhood journey. Now, of course, I didn't want it to be that way. It really rocked my faith. I think for about the first six months post loss, I just was, I was sifting through everything that I had held as true and never questioned in my life. And I had been through other traumatic losses before, but there was something about miscarriage that really, I felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath my face, questioning God's goodness. How do I reconcile what he allows? Not that he causes, but what he allows. And then just the looming fears of what if having living children isn't part of our future and that unknown. It was really scary. That is a lot, right? That is, that's a lot rolled into one experience to completely flip on end your faith and your belief of how things are supposed to go about motherhood, about family, about all of these things, about the lack of control that we have, right? You know, with things in our own lives. And I think especially that because I think there's this feeling that a lot of women have when they lose a baby, when they lose a child, they can think, well, what did I do wrong? What did I do that I deserve this to happen to me? And it can feel like a punishment. And I think because maybe because we live in a society where where bad things get punished in theory and do-gooders are, are rewarded, right? So... So this doesn't fit, right? If you're going along in your life, you're you're saying, I'm, I'm getting married, I'm going to buy this house, I'm going to start this family, I've got this church, I'm doing these great, wonderful things, and I'm gifted with tragedy. And so that can be really difficult. Gifted with tragedy. Yeah, that's such a, a profound and true way of really looking at it. When I was in the research phase of writing my book and I asked 400 lost moms, if you could ask God one question about your loss, what would it be? And it was just an open-ended submission. They could write anything in. And to your point, Jen, I would say at least 50% of those responses had to do with some inclination of what did I do wrong? Why did I deserve this punishment? And so often I think without even our conscious awareness of it, that is how we we view maybe our faith as like this equation with God. And it's based on, even though we know like moralism isn't the foundation of Christianity, but it's so entrenched in our society, in our school system and in sports. And you do a good job, you're going to get a certificate, you're going to get an award, whatever it is. And so we like to think that if I do one plus one, it's going to equal two. And to go through decades of your life until you realize, wait a second, like in God's economy, I think the equation's a little bit different. And grace <laughs> has a whole different ushering in of what we consider fairness. And the question of why me, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, I was able to get to a point where I was like, well, why not me? And I never really thought I would have gotten there, but it took so much just pressing in to understand where is God in this? And maybe everything I believed all along has been more influenced by culture than it really has been by Jesus of Nazareth. Right. And that's that's so interesting. I love that you said, why me? Because I think, I think universally, perhaps all of us have said, why me? And to get to that point where you say, why not me? 
Yeah, actually, why not? I mean, I'm not special, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not special. So why did this happen to me? But also special, not special. Bad things happen. I'm not exempt from suffering, right? There's no, I like to say that there's no checkoff card, you know, like, okay, this, this amount of bad things has happened to me. So I'm all set. I'm all set for life now. Like you said, you'd, you'd had endured tragedy before or loss before. That doesn't mean that we're done. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. All right. So coming back to that, and I love that you were able to get that research from all of those moms. And how did you, how did you find them? How did you find this group of, of women? Yeah, that is a testament to social media. And I did the survey completely anonymously, so I can't really trace exactly where everybody came from, but I did have them vouch that they had experienced some form of loss. And I wanted them to feel comfortable and safe. So I kept the anonymity around that, but I shared it on my pages and then people were resharing it onto their pages, other lost mom accounts. And I was surprised, but not surprised at how quickly responses flooded in because it just reminds me that women are really aching to talk about what's happened to them to be able to process it. Sometimes seeing a questionnaire, I had a couple women message me and say that really helped me articulate and process some of the layers of my loss because there were there were containers for it where I could assess, oh yeah, I think I really was hurt by some of the secondary losses like my faith, like my family relationships, like trust in my body, um, all of those things. But yeah, I, I think women by and large still, although we're we're growing in kind of awareness of pregnancy and infant loss, they're still looking for spaces where they can where they can process and share. So it was within a few weeks I, I had four hundred responses come in. Wow, that's so fast. And was it do you think the information was as expected or kind of different from what you expected? Or what would you say about the content? Yeah, I would say it was fairly expected. And that was only because I've lived in this world for a few years of coming alongside women as they submit their stories on my website. And then I edit them and post a few a week. So I'm literally reading 20 stories a month, I would say. So I'm starting to see trends and recognize them. But then to have that confirmed by research was really helpful and clarifying. Now, there were a few that caught me by surprise. I think I expected more women to have an adverse, that their loss would have had an adverse effect on their faith than what it did. A lot more of them said it didn't really change their faith, which was just not my experience. So that one did surprise me a little bit. But I also know that that can go, that can be a seasonal thing. So if your loss is fresh, you're going to read that as, no, my faith is very negatively impacted. But maybe three years post-loss, you're going to be feeling like your faith is in a different place as you've sat with your loss and brought it before God. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think there are so many different phases of grief, right? Depends on the day that you ask, right? Is it a triggering time of year for me? Is it, you know, all these different things can be factored in. That's a good point. So I think we will come back to the research, but tell me about the stories that you're sharing online about these testimonials that women are sending in. Yeah, so I knew that I wanted to 
make jewelry that could carry story with it and have meaning because there are so many like amazing small businesses making jewelry out there. But I was looking for, man, how do I combine this need that I see of women having a space to share their stories around loss with something physical and meaningful that they can keep? Because one thing that was really hard for me after my miscarriage was that I didn't have anything physical to hold on to afterwards. I hadn't bought anything yet for my baby, like clothes. I think I have the pregnancy test, but honestly, I'm not even sure about that. There was literally nothing physical. And for a while, I felt kind of jealous of other lost moms who had something because I just so badly wanted something tangible. And so I thought, if women can have something beautiful that encapsulates their story, a memory of their baby, and they can wear it, even if they don't want to tell anybody else the meaning behind it, it's just a little like a hug of hope for their heart to be like, I'm carrying like a big piece of my life and my story with me every time I put these earrings on. So yeah, I have a spot on my website where anybody, any lost mom can submit their story. And I have a few questions that it it's kind of like a guided prompt and they can share as little or as much as they want to. And that's how I name all my earrings. So that form is always there, kind of lives there as as a healing resource too, I feel like. And a lot of women have told me that's the first time that they've ever typed out their story. When I post their story, for many of them, it's the first time that they have publicly shared it. So it's really cool to see when they reshare it on their personal page, how orders come in from their family and friends. Some of them not even aware that loss had been part of their story and they're buying their loved one's earring and they kind of just feel supported and loved in that. And it's been really beautiful. Oh my gosh. I think that's amazing, especially when you talk about the women who haven't maybe necessarily shared with a with a large group. Hey, not everyone's on social media, right? Or, you know, whatever you see, they share this story with you. And I mean, it, you're creating a platform for them to validate their baby's existence, right? And and their experience as a mom for that pregnancy or however many pregnancies it is. And that's so amazing. But yeah, like you said, I think with having the ability for family members to show their support in a both direct and indirect way, right? Giving them an opportunity to show them how much that person means to them and their loss and their baby meant to them too. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's been really, really neat. And I think healing for a lot of women. That's great. So how many pieces do you have on your website? Oh man, I don't know. I don't keep count. I have a track of how many stories I've shared to date. So these are not submissions. I'd say at any given time, I have about 50 submissions sitting in my inbox, just waiting. Right now I have shared 250 stories. So I've created 250 pieces. (laughs) That's fun. I've never stopped and actually looked at the numbers. That is worth celebrating. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. So some of those will cycle out, you know, their seasonal pairs, like a Christmas collection or Valentine's collection. But there are some that, you know, if they're more neutral and staples and they sell really well, I'll try to keep those on the site a bit longer if I can. Oh, I think that's amazing. Wow. So that that sounds like a lot. <laughs> that sounds like a big undertaking with the creation of the jewelry, taking care of everything online and reading the stories and editing. And that's a big feat. Is that healing for you, do you find, for you personally? 
Yeah, it, it definitely is a lot of work, like just learning all of the small business aspects. Again, this was not what I envisioned ever doing. It's not like I had a, these skills in my back pocket, although it has been really cool to see just the ways like God's given me certain experiences in my past. Like I was a photographer for years and then I was a broadcast journalist right out of school. So like my love of storytelling, my experience like doing photography ended up translating to taking pictures of earrings. And I had this art studio in my basement growing up in middle school. I was making beaded necklaces and bracelets all the time. And just to see those little like deposits of, of calling that would come into play later has been really neat. But all that to say, yeah, it is really meaningful work. And I think because there are so many pieces of it and it is a full-time thing, it's only sustainable because it has such meaning to me. So yeah, it's been healing. It's felt redemptive. It's been an encouragement to my faith to see God bring something out of something I really, I really didn't think was going to go beyond the event. You just kind of think the loss is the loss. And even though we believe in redemption and things like that and God bringing beauty out of pain, I never expected it to to play out so practically. Right. And it's hard because you think about that too. You know, you wouldn't be doing this likely necessarily, right? Without having experienced that loss. Yeah. And so is that a purpose, right? I mean, I know myself and so many other women out there saying, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful and grateful that you are doing what you're doing because it's it's impactful and it's special to all of us. But you had to experience loss for that to happen, right? And so it's really, it can be so complicated, that feeling, I think, and when, when you think about perspective, because you wouldn't have this perspective had you not experienced your loss. And I don't know, I think there's you always wonder, you know, was this was this on purpose? Was this were the little deposits throughout your life all woven in some really interesting quilt that was always meant to be? Or are these things that just happened, right? And I've made the best of it. It's really hard to decide, you know, is it or is are both things true? Do you feel like your loss and your faith guided you to where you are then? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I just kept feeling this sense of doing something with this experience. I just didn't know what shape it was going to take. I mean, I sat on this for years, this kind of this small like, burden that never really went anywhere. And I thought it was going to solely be writing. I didn't know it was going to be earrings first and then it would lead to writing. Yeah. So it, it's been it's been so interesting to see it unfold, definitely. So would you say that this the Hope Again Collective led you to this collection of research that you've been doing? Definitely. I had sat down and and tried to draft out, I was going to write a devotional. This was like in 2019 for Lost Moms. And when I look back at those notes compared to what I ended up writing in my manuscript for my book now, like three years later, I just see wow, what a, what a difference. Like I thought I knew, which, you know, you do know because it's your own experience, but then when you live in this world of sitting with other women and their stories and their experiences, you start to realize these common fears, these common secondary losses, you start to see the trends and how it impacts their faith. And so I would say 
my vision for writing in this space became so much deeper and more refined because of Hope Again Collective. So this book 100% is the result of, of holding all these women's stories. For sure. So is would you take it, is it more of a guide or is it more of a resource or is it a collection of stories from parents or what, how would you define it? Yeah, I would say it's it's a guide to help women who are desiring to recover their hope and their faith after loss. And stories are woven into that, but really the backbone of the book is walking through the events of Holy Week. Like we just went through a couple months ago with Easter. And that was such an aha moment for me when I started to look at what Jesus and his disciples experienced. And I saw this parallel to the emotional roller coaster that is pregnancy and then is loss. And to me, this has been single handedly the most helpful container for me to process my loss as it pertains to my faith. So, as I sat on that for a few months and developed my books outline through that paradigm, I came up with five stages of hope. And I remember talking with a lost mom friend of mine who has been a writing coach of mine for a few years. And she said, you know, everybody's very familiar with the five stages of grief, which yes, we can all like, we've heard them, we're familiar with them to some extent or another. But both of us were like, but nobody's told us about the stages of recovering hope. And what does that pathway forward look like? Especially if you're a follower of Jesus and you feel like your faith and your hope have been ripped out from underneath you, what does it look like to recover that again? Because as you know, when you've experienced pregnancy and infant infant loss, it's not just that initial loss. There are so many secondary losses. You miscarry so much more which is a play on the title of miscarried hope. That was a big thing I I wrestled with was I felt like I had miscarried my hope alongside with my baby. And I didn't know how to get that back. Now, therapy, obviously very, very helpful. (laughs) And there are some resources out there, but I wanted something to guide me in the way of Jesus towards a different and newer faith and hope. Because your faith and your hope are not going to be the same as they were pre-loss. You're not going to be able to go back to what it used to be, but you can walk into a thriving relationship with hope and faith again. It's just going to to be molded through your loss. So that is what my book is based upon. It's the five stages of hope and what it looked like for the disciples to experience the expectation of Palm Sunday met with this abrupt confusion and pain of Jesus telling them he's about to leave. And then we see like the sorrow in the garden where Jesus saying, I don't want this to be true. I don't want this cup. I don't want to have to drink this followed by the crucifixion and the emotion of that, the complete loss of hope, because all this time they had thought, wait, I thought you were going to be our savior. I thought you were the fulfillment of our hope. We must have missed the mark somewhere. Followed by the silence of Saturday, and then obviously the resurrection on Sunday. And so I break that down and kind of compare it to what it is to walk through this high expectation of being pregnant through all of emotional kind of bumps that you walk through as your loss unfolds. Okay. That is a lot to unpack, but I I can see it, right? I totally see this parallel that you're speaking about. And I think it's something that 
people can really identify with and they're going to be able to kind of walk along with as you're outlining this, right, for them and, and those parallels. So when you talk about hope and talking about renewed and finding hope again. I love that you also parallel it with the five stages of grief, right? Like, let's talk about that because we do always look at grief, right? We're always talking about grief when it comes to pregnancy and infant loss, and it has such an important place. It does because it matters, and and the way you navigate it really matters. But I love to talk about finding hope again. I think that's so interesting because there is a moment, right, where that almost, you always carry that grief in a certain capacity, right? But at some point you are, especially if you, let's say, want to conceive again, try to have another child, you have to be able to find some morsel of hope to move forward in that journey. Because until the hope outweighs the fear, you can't, right? You're paralyzed. You absolutely cannot think about trying again, let's say. So, What's a pivotal moment, if you will, that you could share or think of that transitions from that weighted scale of of hope being bigger than fear? Yeah, that's a great question. So the five stages of hope that I, I walk through in my book are expectation, shock, despair, grief, and then active hope. And I think it's important that to first qualify this as saying, I've shared this with some women and, and I think they expect all of those phases to be like hopeful and uplifting, optimistic type words, but really to recover an active relationship with hope, you are going to need to address some of the breach in the hope. Like why was the hope broken? Why is there a trust breach and trust issues with hope in the first place? And you can't recover an active, real vibrant hope to carry you forward in the face of unknowns if you don't first acknowledge what has happened to your hope. So sitting in that loss and that pain and realizing like just the acceptance of those emotions, which I know is part of the stages of grief, that informs and guides the road to hope again. So I think the pivotal moment for me is really in the grief of Silent Saturday and I spent a whole, the whole middle section of my book is on the silence of Saturday because our culture doesn't know what to do with silence. That is true. (laughs) And they also don't know what to do with pregnancy and infant loss in terms of how to grieve and process or acknowledge it as a loss. But I found for myself so much happened in my silent Saturday period of grief that that is what planted the seeds and enabled me to even desire feeling hopeful about a future with children in it. So silent, sitting in the silence for me looked like a lot of days of very honest reflecting, journaling and praying before God when I didn't feel like talking to God at all. It's not like I had like the perfect little journal and tea and flowers set out. These were, these were things I was not wanting to do. I was angry at God. I was feeling like he let me down. He didn't uphold his side of the bargain that I had assumed in my mind. (laughs) But in the daily work of that, being honest in the silence, and this is the period after loss when people have usually stopped reaching out. The flowers that you've received are withered. You're not getting meals delivered to you anymore. You've gone back to work. You've gone back into the routine. But this very real pain and ache in your heart is still there. That's the silent period. 
when all the all of the support around you has kind of faded out and it's just you and God and you're gonna either press into that or retreat from that and for me pressing into that silence working with my therapist that is what led to me desiring hope and not being afraid of hope as much as I used to be for my future. I think that's a really good point because it can be terrifying to even think about the idea of being hopeful again, right? And just saying, am I going to be able to get excited about something? Because if I do, it's going to hurt that much more if that rug gets swept out for me again, right? Because that does happen. So what advice would you give to a parent, a mom who is in the beginning, right, in that early space where they're questioning God and God's love for them and their life and their faith? Because I think so many people go through that, that anger phase, and a person can get stuck there. So so what advice would you have to help, whether that that's as a pastor or as a writer or from the research that you've done? to help guide them into a place where they can consider that relationship again. Definitely. Yeah, I would say there's an invitation in grief and that is to engage and wrestle with God through all of those things or to retreat and say, yeah, I want to climb out of the ring. I never asked to be in this wrestling match, which is true. None of us did, but there is a choice. And I've seen in my own life, the outcomes of, and this is for any type of grief, not just specific to our type of grief, but in loss, people who do the work of engaging in their grief, wrestling with God, doing the things that we saw Job do, shout at God and tell him why this isn't fair and why he's angry. They have that permission and that depth with God. Their hearts end up being in a different state than the people who encounter loss and grief and don't engage with it. And I'm sure Like if you're listening to this, you can probably think of the two types of people in your life that embody that. We see it a lot of times in older, like there's usually only, (laughs) not to overgeneralize this, but you can see it a lot in older people as they approach the end of their life. They've weathered a lot of losses. I've met some of the like most beautiful, gentle, just saint-like people who have done years of processing their grief and wrestling with God and asking the questions, even in their anger. Versus those people who you can just tell have been hardened by the losses of life because they they haven't, it's been too painful to engage or whatever the circumstances are, they become kind of less and less human in the process. And I just keep that before me as a reminder of the choices I'm making daily with the small losses and pains of life as this is all, this is all part of my formation and it, it is going to have a cumulative impact. So even when we don't understand why we are gifted tragedy and we don't want it, nobody ever wants it. Nobody wishes it on anybody, but often there, there is a profound invitation in the midst of that, that will transform us and change us. And some of the most beautiful people I know are people who have weathered and wrestled through their losses. That is so insightful because you do think of just different versions of folks, right, in old age or whatever age. And yeah, you're so right. Like, you can look at them and say, oh, gosh, 
well, they've had a, they had a really rough go of it. So I get that they're they're bitter and they're just not coming around. But there are others that, yeah, they've had a rough go, but they found a way to make peace with it and to lead a life that's hopeful. And absolutely, that is a little bit eye-opening for me, thinking it's cumulative, right? It's all of those little things that you collect throughout your life and the way that you respond to them and the way that you hold them, right? Because that doesn't make your grief less bad or your tragedy less bad if you're able to move forward and be hopeful. It just means that you're carrying it, right? And you're choosing to carry it in, despite a better word, positive way, right? And some people are able to do that because they have, let's say, living children that rely on them, other families that rely on them, things like that. And so I think that's such a good reminder to always look at these moments as cumulative. I think that's great. Yeah. And I'd also say like when your loss is fresh and if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, that sounds great, but I, I'm not there yet. And that feels like a goal and I don't want to have a goal. And that's totally valid. One thing that was helpful to me in those early days was to do this exercise. And I'm not the creator of this. Somebody has walked me through it. It's just to close your eyes and picture you when you felt abandoned in your loss by God or a painful moment and to picture where Jesus is in the room and to do that from time to time. So at times Jesus would be off in the corner, but he was in the room with me and that brought me a bit of comfort. And then as I processed through and read about Jesus and his most sorrowful moments, and I would close my eyes and picture myself as carrying a baby. I started to see Jesus like kneeling with me, with his arm around me, weeping with me. And when you could do that exercise, just asking Jesus, show me where you were in the room with me. And it's not going to necessarily give you answers, but most people, myself included, weren't really after answers. We were after comfort and needed to know that Jesus hadn't abandoned us. And so that was something my immediate season post-loss that I found to be very comforting and just a simple way to help re-engage my faith that I felt like I had lost completely. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good reminder too to those people in that early grief is that you're not going to get an answer, right? And and finding acceptance around the fact that you're not going to get an answer. None of us are, right? (laughs) Until hopefully at some point in the end, that's when we'll know. But and there may not be, I guess I'm I'm not entirely a proponent of everything happens for a reason, right? Because that one's too hard, right? Because that one insinuates, and I remember having folks tell me that and hoping, you know, that would make me feel better. And I remember just going, yeah, but why? I mean, what do you mean? What reason could there possibly be? And I just, that made me feel worse and it made me feel more anger, right? Well, I don't like your reason. And then whereas if I looked at it from lens of actually everything just happens, it happens. And then you have certain experiences in your life or people around you or, or abilities within you to make that be a certain way after the fact, right? You're able to deal with it and how you deal with it and move forward is your choice, but it happens. Things just happen. And I just, I think once I grasped onto that concept, I could be less angry. It took away that anger that someone did this to me. More just happened. And like you had said, 
trying to imagine God or Jesus or whatever spirit with you in that room or in those difficult times could be more comforting than kind of making up some version of like this was supposed to be, (laughs) right? So I, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And I think I feel like that's good advice for the person even in those early days right now. Yeah. I read something fascinating by a neurologist a few years ago. His name's Robert Burton, and he analyzed our inclination to fill in the blanks with missing pieces in our stories. And he said, the brain is wired the brain likes patterns. And so when we can complete a pattern, like it's a dopamine release for the brain. And you think about when you go through like grade school and you learn that a story has three parts, a beginning, middle and end. But one of the challenges is that when we go through something traumatic and we don't have answers is to kind of be on guard for the fact that your brain is going to try to fill the gaps because it wants to complete the structure, it wants to complete the storyline, and it wants to be able to file that traumatic thing away and be like, this is why it happened. I messed up. God was mad at me. I didn't deserve this X, Y, and Z. And then we store it away. It really helped me to like be able to step back and analyze, okay, this is why I've done what I've done with all of the things that I've never been able to explain, where there has been no quote unquote reason. And I totally am with you, Jen. I hate that phrase. It's not helpful. And it's also really detrimental to someone's faith because that's also standing there saying that God creates evil and that is not at all in line with like the God of the Bible, the God of creation who created life and and goodness to say that God creates evil and things like loss and death and miscarriage. I mean, that's, that's going to really put some stumbling blocks in someone's faith. And it it was for me. All that to say is now when I walk women through that early phase is to try to help them identify where are you trying to fill the gaps of this story so that it makes sense to you and you don't have to live in the confusing gray. You want black and white, but it's just not for most of us something that we are going to have on the other side of our loss. So to be able to identify that or even catch your thoughts like, man, I'm I keep thinking this thing, but that's not founded on any, like, I'm just believing that because it's helping me store this away, but really it's causing shame. It's causing me to blame myself. It's causing all of these other things. And that's just not the truth. So to recognize, Hey, my brain is going to want to do this, but that doesn't mean that I need to fill it with things that aren't true. that are going to make me feel horrible about myself. I think that's a big thing for us as lost moms to hold on to because the temptation to want to blame ourselves for some aspect of our loss is always going to be there. But to be able to recognize those thoughts and be like, yeah, that's just not the truth. I'm going to let myself learn to be comfortable in the gray of the unknown versus plugging in an answer so I can have a black and white. That's not true. That makes sense. That makes absolute sense. And what an amazing challenge. That's a beautiful challenge to give. I mean, I think that's, and that's great for anyone in any place in their life, right? Right, especially right in the throes of grief and loss, but anywhere. Challenge yourself not to fill in the blanks with things that aren't true. Don't tell yourself things that aren't true or believe things that aren't true. And it can be hard to identify that. But again, 
like many things, maybe that's a practice, right? <laughs> wear, wear a rubber band on your hand and be like, is this true? Is this, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, is this myself telling myself a story to make someone else feel better or to appease a certain narrative that makes this all make sense when really it's not going to make sense? And Wrapping it up in a pretty bow sounds amazing and popping it up on that shelf sounds real great, but reality is that doesn't happen. And the harder you try, I think the worse it's going to feel, actually. I think that's that's a lot of what our ancestors did, right? Our moms and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers who lost their children, they just filed that right away. And I bet you ask any of them, it didn't make them feel any better. It didn't embolden their faith, right? It didn't help them move towards a better place. I think it just made it harder in the end, really. And so what we do know is it made it harder for all of us, right? (laughs) All the women coming after. So what we can do, right, for our daughters and our children, right, is to speak about it and to share about it and, and to approach it honestly. And, you know, I love that not fill in the blanks with things that aren't true. That's a gift that, that we can give to generations after us. Yeah, you're seeing right, Jen. This book sounds fantastic. We are so excited to be able to chat about it here. So thank you. It is available for purchase. So I'm sure there's a couple places that you can get it. Can you share those with us? Yes. Yeah. So it's available on Amazon and any major book retailer. It's also available if you go to hopeagaincollective.com or my personal website is rachelloman.com. You'll be able to find it. But yeah, you can just search Miscarried Hope on Amazon. Yeah, if you if you get the book and you read it, I'd love to hear your thoughts, what resonated, what helped. So feel free to connect with me on Instagram at Hope Again Collective. I love that. And we are going to put all of those links in our show notes. So you will be able to find those there if you are just wrapping up listening to this episode. So Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. You are a wealth of knowledge and inspiration, and we are just so grateful for you. Thank you so much, Jen, and thank you for the work you do for this community. Ah, thanks. All right, we will see you again next time. Thank you for listening to Haven's Landscape of Loss. If you found it helpful to hear this story and are going through a lost journey of your own, or supporting someone else who is, consider subscribing on wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with loved ones, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Finally, to learn more and get even more resources about the lost journey or to send a healing gift, please visit havenmidwest.org. And while you're there, consider donating. This podcast is made possible by our partners at Tellwell, listeners like you, and folks willing to share their stories so we can all heal together. You are-